Okay. Hi, Jeff Cooper here of Classic Christian Rock Radio. You're listening to Time Machine, and tonight our guest is Greg Eckler, a drummer extraordinaire, and we're so happy to have you, Greg. Well, it's good to be here, and I'm glad you uh, were able to get a hold of me because I'm just I'm, I'm I'm out and about all over the place still. Yes, after all these years, I'm still going for it. That's awesome. What age did you start in music? Oh goodness, there's a theoretical age and a real age. I, I, I was I was in music the first time I heard the windshield wipers in my dad's car go chinka 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 chinka. Uh, I was on my way to being a drummer. I actually got my first drum set at the age of 12. And my grandmother, who was partially deaf, welcomed me into her house to practice those drums. And it all worked out. Wow, that's awesome. That's, I, I can relate to that because uh, I always tapped my pencil on my desk. So what or who influenced you musically? What or whom influenced me musically? That's a good question um, because there were so many... My mom listened to um, the uh, black uh, rhythm music early on when she was young. She was also in, a, she recorded a lot of things in the studio, and she had real, real, I guess I'd call it extreme music taste. She listened to old torch singers, which many people listening to your program wouldn't even have heard of. Nellie Lutcher, for instance. And of course, she loved Nat King Cole, which probably everybody remembers, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. She listened generally to that kind of music. And my dad was just kind of the other side of the coin there. He liked the modern jazz stuff. He liked the, uh, the, the jazz quartets with guitars or horns or whatever they were. And he was over on that side of the coin. They were both very talented musically, although neither of them really pursued anything in the way of music because they were fresh out of World War II and trying to put their life together in other ways at that time. Yeah, so music was not uh, a way to make money, for example. Not then. No, not then. So tell us about your life growing up and maybe put in your testimony as well in there. Well, I can, I can uh, you know, refer to some things that I, I speak of often, and that was I just had a normal, kind of a normal middle-class childhood in what I call at this, at this point in time a really old, tired city, Covington, Kentucky. I just looked up Covington, Kentucky on the uh, website here the other day, and I guess they've improved <laughs> a little since 1955. You know, a little bit, eh? <laughs> but very little, yeah. <laughs> but anyway uh I, I was raised up there and it's not a, you know it's not a fun place even even then it wasn't it was all factories and and uh wineries and uh, um, mill mills and ironworks and, and railroads and all that kind of stuff and bars and uh, you know just honky tonks and stuff and you know every time you would look for years you'd look into a, a, a brochure about Covington, kentucky the first thing they would show you and still do is that beautiful bridge that crosses over into Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm. I think that's their claim to being a really cool city. But mm. <laughs> after the after the that bridge, there isn't a whole lot to write home about about Covington. <laughs> and uh, so uh, the point there is I was relieved when my parents said we're moving to California. Mm. For me, that was like that was the equivalent of dying and going to heaven when you're 11 years old. Yeah. So. So, so anyway, we, we, uh, we just moved on to, um, you know, uh, California, where my mom's mother lived, that my, my maternal grandmother. And she was a very devout Christian. 
Mm-hmm. And at an early age, whenever I would come visit them, and especially after we moved out there in 1957, she gave me uh, Bible little Bible lessons. When I was real little, she gave me those felt board stories. Mm. Uh, every all everyone, King David and Joseph, yeah. and you know all those things. And it just turns out I still have all of those <laughs> to this day. And but she was she was the a influence in my life at the early age of probably ten or 11 and she just just drilled me full of the bible in a very loving and caring way mm. but saw to it that i went to church with her my parents weren't disposed to going to church my mom just did simply didn't care to go and my dad had had some bad bad experiences in church early on back yeah. in the day before world war ii when in small towns the you know the baptist church would be at war with the nazarenes you know mm-hmm. and it was, not, not to pick on any churches no. but that's what happens when people lose sight of the objective and that is to worship the lord right on so anyway that that was all in my background so my parents weren't churchgoers and and my grandma kind of bailed me out of all that and watched over me and got me to vacation bible school and Mm -hmm. all so i grew up into my early teens at least with a a, some sort of a biblical background and and back then i was able to hold on to it and of course, later in my life, it would come into play in a, in a grand way. Beautiful, yeah, that's great. I had visions of those little fuzzy felt Goliath feet with the, you know. <laughs> oh yes, sir. I still I, got them. I mm-hmm. taught Sunday school too, so I remember those well. Great well, stuff. I got grandkids now, and guess who's going to get Bible felt board? Right lessons? on, amen. <laughs> that's great. No, they yeah. they were great. Can't beat those at all. Yeah. Uh huh. So. What bands did you get involved? Like how early did you get involved in a band playing the drums? Or did you play by yourself for a while? Did you, you know, do what a lot of drummers do, put on a record? Well, it's a, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a very interesting question. And I did play by myself at my grandmother's house, like I said, mm-hmm. for a, a long time, because she was deaf, partially deaf. That's, and it didn't bother her. That's, for me that's handy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I see the Lord in all this, you know, frankly. But anyway, by the time I was uh, 13... Going on 14, I joined up with some guys who wanted to start back then what was the big craze in Southern California, and that was surf music, instrumental surf music. Uh, it was the 60s. Dick Dale was emerging as a big name. And, of course, you're at some of your singers, the Jam and Dean type, and and a lot of uh, other instrumental bands came out, uh, like the, the uh, Venturers and, and others. And... And so instrumental surf was coming out. So I joined an instrumental surf band as a drummer. And one of my neighbors, Jim Salstad, who went on to play with uh, Jim Messina uh, for his career for a lengthy season. Well, we put together a couple of uh, uh, the two of us got together with a couple of guys who played uh, heavily reverbed Stratocasters. And we had a band called The Defiance. And it wasn't just typical spelling. I think that was our contribution to punk. Hmm. Back in '63, we misspelled it on purpose, <laughs> um, and and but it, the band, if you said the name, it would still come out defiance. Mm-hmm. So and we were we were being 1963 defiant, whatever in the heck that was. <laughs> well, we had a great time. We hammered and banged and reverbed ourselves just like crazy, and that went on for a couple of years until uh, the advent of the Beatles. Mm. And when the Beatles came, and, and February, I think it was 9th or 12th or somewhere around there, 1964, they played on Ed Sullivan. Mm-hmm. And as most people listening and have that kind of history in their background will attest to, that was a game changer. Yeah. 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 Changed everything. 
Yes, I did. And I remember saying myself, Mom, I'll never grow my hair like that. Yeah. Well, I did. <laughs> yes, that's that's when I was a, I was a senior in high school, mm. and all, it was the dress code would not allow for it. Wow. I had buddies that were just combing. They weren't growing their hair out. They were just combing their hair down mm. over their ears and forehead. Yeah. You know? And they still got kicked out of school. Yeah. They still got kicked out. You couldn't, you couldn't do that. Not allowed. No. So I guess that made them rebels right from the jump. And so... I got one of those, uh, one of those collarless, uh, looks like a minister's coat, black, and I wore it around for my junior and senior year, and I didn't get tossed out, but they had given me the raised eyebrow a few times, just even dressing that way. Finally, I went to the old white front store. I don't know, people out there listening might mm-hmm. remember in their hometown a white front. Mm-hmm. Went to the white front store because they were the only store in town, in my case, San Bernardino, California, that had... Hold on to your hat. Here it comes. Beetle boots. Hmm. So I went out and got myself a pair of beetle boots and cemented myself in to the new <laughs> genre, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, I kept playing the drums, and I immediately got into a four-piece vocal-style beetle-type band, and they were called one, two, three, four. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be numeral one, numeral two, numeral three, with the word four spelled out. Mm. It was like cool man very cool yes but we had the vocals and we had some we had some nice instrumental arrangements and vocal arrangements Mm -hmm. but it was all cover tunes we didn't really expect that we would get anywhere with it Hmm. and then uh, later on after i was in that band that led to me being pulled into a band called the bush Hmm. and the bush were a five-piece band that they were top dog in the inland empire back then and my band was making a lot of waves and making a lot of inroads and the very wise and smart Mrs. Burns, who managed the bush, she said, we have to downplay that band, so let's just grab Greg and put him in the bush. So they grabbed me and put me in the bush, and that was sort of the end of the one, two, three, four. And I went on with the bush. And that was a great career. And a lot of this is documented in some of the old uh, magazines and books that are out you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went into a group called The Light. We were the first Empire group to record for um, a major label, which was uh, Herb Albert's was A&M Records. Mm-hmm. The song was Music Box, and it charted really well mm-hmm. all over. And we were just moving along. You know, we got openings for big-name bands, and so it was just like a lot of people who get into music in those days or even in these days, whatever the modern music is about. They just try to, you know, get up the up the ladder as best they can and, and make a name for themselves and all that. So that's what I was doing. And I climbed through three or four more bands and, you know, got my way all the way up to uh, 67 when uh, The Light made that record for A&M and it charted and it charted well and internationally and everything. From there, we thought we were the cat's meow, so we broke away from that hmm. <laughs> as as young guys will do. Yep. And we started our own band called Cock Robin and Cock Robin. Uh, we got a lot of production work there, uh, but still there was no, at this point in my life, there was no sign of the Lord. Mm. So we, we went through, we went through a bunch of that, um, you know, to, to get where we thought we wanted to go playing all kinds of sleazy clubs and mm. everything else thinking we were going to get a record deal da, 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 you know, the same old story. Yeah. But then the, then the bottom fell out. And when the bottom fell out in my life, it wasn't just with music. The girl that I had met and was in love with, she left me. Mm. So I was really basically left out, in, literally, in the cold. I was sleeping on the floor of a band house in the desert with some other musicians who still had their bar gig. 
And that was when I took my uh, first walk in the desert at the behest of my grandmother. She had told me way back, she said, Greg, when things get really, really bad, just go have a little talk with Jesus. And that came to my mind over and over as I lay there, you know, basically just dying away, not physically, but, you know, emotionally in that house. Mm -hmm. So one night I went out for a big, long walk. And that's where the real testimony of the real turnaround in my life began. Wow. <clears throat> okay, so Rubicon is probably the most famous, uh, well, I, I hate the word secular, but the most famous rock band that uh, you did play for. So tell us a little bit about that. Okay, I will. And then uh, after that, I can double back to my yes. walk on the desert. Yes, indeed. But anyway, uh, moving along in my career, then after I had done um, the gospel thing with Psalm 150, yes. we received the Grammy nomination in 1972, or 73, I think it was. Yeah. Somewhere in there. For the Mana Records uh, album, Make Up Your Mind, uh, but we didn't win the Grammy, but we got a nomination. So yeah. that kept us, kept us rolling ahead. Mm -hmm. so the next two or three years after that, um, uh, the Lord directed us into prison work, and mm. so we visited just about every major institution in the Western United States, just doing prisons, mm -hmm. big prisons, mm -hmm. named prisons. Yeah. And on one of those occasions, I went to a prison called California Mez Colony, mm -hmm. and uh, we were going to have to go. They oftentimes, they, they, if they could afford it or they could do it, the uh, the uh, not the chaplain in the in the prison, but the um, Athletic department, direct, mm -hmm. athletic director would he would quadrant off the gymnasium because all the inmates wanted to come and hear the, the rock band. Yeah. They didn't know it was Christian; they just wanted to hear that lively music. Yeah. Uh, and so they did that. And but this particular time at California Men's Colony, they took us upstairs into a little chapel room, probably you know not much bigger than this office I'm sitting in now. Mm -hmm. Probably, probably maybe 50 feet long and about 40 feet wide or something like that. Mm -hmm. Little chapel. And we had to carry a Hammond organ up two flights of stairs. Oh, man. And a Hammond organ carrying it with those handles. It's exactly like carrying a coffin. Oh. You know? But anyway, we did it. We got up there. We got all set up and uh, ready to go and all that kind of thing. And we played. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought it was, uh, you know, really uh, a grand experience to be able to play for those guys mm -hmm. and um so we just we went ahead and played and um after that you know i didn't think anything of it and i just we just went ahead and had our day and then we left and uh went on with the, you know went to the next prison or whatever everything kind of being routine at the time okay skip ahead 20 or 30 years mm -hmm. and i'm going through i'm perusing through an old bible bookstore and i found a book called will you die for me mm. And it was a book some people, when they hear that title, they'll know. It was written by uh, the hatchet man, for the man who actually killed seven people in the Manson murders. Oh, it was, yeah. Uh, uh, Tex Watson. Yeah. He had written the book. Well, what his book was about was about his conversion to Christ. Whoa. And he told the whole story about his conversion to Christ. And he begins with when he was in California Men's Colony, which I believe he still is to this day, and him going to a little chapel service and hearing this band called Psalm 150. Mm -hmm. And he said he listened, and he listened, and he listened, and he came away from that concert, he said, saying to himself, wow, mm -hmm. these guys believe in Jesus more than I believed in Charlie. That was his exact 
quote. Wow. Now, to some people, that might sound bizarre or obscure or weird, but I knew exactly what he was going through. Mm -hmm. He was making life-changing decisions at that time. Yeah. Because soon after that, when we would return to California Men's Colony, he was involved heavily in the church and to the point where he eventually became our go-to guy. Mm -hmm. So we would get to meet with him and have church and share fellowship and prayer and everything for two, three years running there. And it was a, a marvelous time. Mm -hmm. Well, it was just typical of many of the things we did. We, we did prisons all up and down the U.S. I had so many stories from so many prisons, all of them just like, wow, yeah. eye-openers. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, at the end of all of that run, Psalm 150 ended up at Melody Land Christian Center in Anaheim working for the hotline, mm -hmm. for the phones, call-ins. And that's where we first met Andre Crouch right. when we were making our first album. Uh, and and uh, Andre Crouch had come into the studio to visit us and, and encourage us on. And then later on, we met him again at Melody Land. We began to play together with him, and uh, we would go out on the road with him. And then Psalm 50, and as all bands usually do, they disbanded around 76. And at that time, I moved ahead into some uh, other areas, which would lead me to Rubicon. Mm -hmm. The boys, the boys in the band, about half of them went on went on to go on the road with Andre and became a part of Andre Crouch and the Disciples mm -hmm. for the next two or three years of their life. Yeah. Okay, on to Rubicon. I moved to the San Francisco Bay uh, area. Joined Rubicon, Jerry Martini being the leader. He was the sax player for Sly and the Family Stone. Mm -hmm. So technically, we were the first spin-off group of Sly and the Family Stone. Mm. Consisted of uh, Jerry and other members who were with Sly off and on over the years. And a couple of guys who later went out on their own to become Night Ranger, and that's Brad Gillis mm -hmm. and uh, Jack Blades. Mm -hmm. And Jimmy Pugh, who uh, has had an illustrious career with... Um, uh, the guitar player, the blues guitar player, um, his name slips my mind at the yep. moment, um, Robert Cray. Okay. Robert Cray. Yep. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, they all, everybody went in good directions over the years after that, but I kind of went on my slide downhill once mm -hmm. I got into Rubicon. I let, I let myself drift back into worldly situations mm -hmm. because it was all, you know, all this dead rock and roll stuff. Mm -hmm. And that was one thing. When Rubicon broke up, I was immediately picked up by Rick Nelson and the Stone Canyon Band. Oh. And I went on the road with Rick. And the interesting thing about being with Rick, Rick was a very nice guy, regardless of what some of the articles make him out to be. Yeah. Very gracious and nice guy. A little bit uh, soft-spoken. But nonetheless, uh, you know, it, was, it wasn't, and it wasn't all that good pay. Mm. It was just sideman pay. Yeah. You know, which back then was like, uh, I don't know, $150 a week. Yeah. Now, that sounds ridiculous, but this was 1979. Wow. So, the, so the side men, we could get about 150 bucks a week. Unless we were in New York, we'd get 250 <laughs> bucks a week. Yeah. But be that as it may, um, you know, the thing that kept you in the band was all the uh, first cabin treatment. Yeah. You know, flying in leered jets, landing and getting into a stretch limo, going to the best hotel in whatever city there was and staying upstairs on the presidential suite floor, you know, and getting all the royal treatment of, of, of a rock star, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I didn't want to get out of that because that, that was just like getting strokes, you know, mm -hmm. for my ego. Mm -hmm. And uh, needless to say, my, my relationship with the Lord was on hold again, you know. And uh, to many, I would just apologize 
right up front by saying, sorry, I was so up and down during that time. But that's what I was. I was up and down, and, and the allure of the world got to me, and as it can do. And I would encourage any Christians, earnest Christian musician listening, be careful of the wiliness of the world. They'll pull you in and tell you all kinds of things, yeah. and then you end up like Striper. Yeah. You end up on a, on a, on a, with a record deal play, remaking secular songs mm. just so they can keep your name in focus. Yeah. Anyway, that's another whole story. Another story, other yep. Uh, and so I went on with Rick for a season, and then I did a lot of television shows. Uh, the one that can be most easily accessed right now, I think, is um, uh, the old, uh, uh, what's the show in Chicago? Um, uh, I've forgotten that. You'll have to. You'll have to mm -hmm. uh, Soul Train or something the, like that? Was it music? No, no, it wasn't the Black Guys. I did American Bandstand yeah. with Rubicon, though. Okay. In that era, it was Phil Donahue. Right. Uh, Rick did Rick did Phil Donahue, yep. and that little little long-haired silly drummer in the background was me. <laughs> I'll have to look people that up. People often ask me. Yeah, people <laughs> often ask me. Uh, it's a question that's asked often about um, uh, what what was the difference between Rubicon and and uh, Rick Nelson. Well, the surface answer is obvious. Uh, when you listen to Rubicon and listen to it over and over, Rubicon was uh, and Jerry had a brilliant idea. It was the it was the actually the nucleus of uh, what's called funk slash rock. Right. It was actual hard rock music mm -hmm. set to a funky beat mm -hmm. in the most literal sense. Yeah. Rubicon epitomized that and did it well. Yeah. And anybody who would care to see that needs only tune into the Cal Jam 2 mm -hmm. uh, where that uh, uh, can be seen in the final song there. That's the way things are. Yeah. And then, but Rick Nelson, everything was rigid and constructed ahead of time and i mean you didn't even wipe sweat unless it was in the crypt you know and uh it was that it was that tight the songs were fun to play because they were you know i'd go back to old hello mary lou and those things yeah. and i had to learn all the cowbell parts yeah. you know? that was a fun deal but eventually all that wore thin too like secular music will even if you're with a big name it wears mm -hmm. wears on you it thinned out a lot yeah finally I just finally gave it up because my relationship with my now wife, who had come back to me from the back in the day, mm -hmm. uh, was wearing thin again. Mm. She was uh, uh, a regional supervisor for uh, Judy's Clothing Store in three states in the Southwest, yep. Arizona, Nevada, and California. Mm -hmm. So she was on the road continuously, and I was on the road continuously. As a matter of fact, we joked about the fact that we had to like, call each other together and arrange a date on a calendar to have dinner oh boy you know it got that stretched out yeah but the, obviously as anybody in the right mind knows that had to go in, in favor of braver brighter writer uh, christian ethic type living so it did eventually and then it was right after rick nelson i did a surf thing with john and the night riders the surf instrumental group mm -hmm. a lot of touring in europe and that was a lot of fun yeah. but it still still wasn't the right thing and then along comes Daryl Mansfield about 1985. Wow. And, and that was, then I realized I was back. I remember the night Daryl came into a Christian nightclub in Southern California. And he was going up and down the line of this band that I was sitting in with, introducing himself. Oh, I am Daryl Mansfield. Hi, yep. I'm Daryl Mansfield. Hello there, I'm Daryl Mansfield. He got to me and I said, hello. I, I went, Daryl, it's me, Greg. 
He went, oh, man, Greg Eckler, I haven't seen you in a long time. Wow. Since way back in the you know, Maranatha days and all this kind of stuff. I said, yeah, I know. Well, here I am. <laughs> so he, he, just, he just went on his way. And then after we had a break in the band, I went over and sat down with Taryn. She was there with me. Mm-hmm. And he walks over to my table. And he says, hey, uh, Greg, I have a question for you. And I said, what? He said, well, our drummer we have now uh, is British. And his green card expires tomorrow. Mm-hmm. He's going back to Europe. And we have a a 10-city tour in, in uh, overseas, and he's not going to be able to go. You want to go? I said, uh, let me think about it. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, but Love it. I, so I talked about it with Taryn, and, and we prayed with Daryl mm-hmm. at our table, really, and we've all had a piece about it. Amen. And I knew and she knew that I was heading back into Christian music ministry. Praise God. And so, Daryl, I, I have to give all the credit to the Lord Partial credit to Daryl Mansfield yeah. for just being as as forthright as he always knew how to be. Yeah. He just invited me into the band on a whim, and I accepted on a, on a whim. So, and the rest of that is history all the way through 1990 when I moved to uh, Applegate Christian Fellowship in Southern Oregon. Beautiful. But there are many, 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 many adventures with Daryl Mansfield. Yeah. Well, elaborate. Go ahead. Tell us some Daryl stories. We'd love to hear them. Okay, and, and getting into the Daryl Mansfield band, of course, it was the same thing. We just got on the plane the next day, and we were off and running for somewhere. But usually it was a church that was sponsoring like a big outdoor concert or something. And we also got involved into the um, festival circuit, you know, the summer festivals yeah. a lot of it. Yeah. yeah. The most, the most, uh, the coolest of them all was because Daryl was good friends with Glenn Kaiser yeah. of the Res Band. Yeah. And so we would go back and do uh, that festival every year. The Cornerstone. And, yeah. Yeah, Cornerstone, where I got to meet those guys and hang out and jam together and stuff. And that was the beginning of a probably about a five-year run of doing that every single year. And um, so, you know, and then we got around, you know, we did all kinds of, you can, all you have to do is Google there on Mansfield. You can find a lot of the festivals Mm -hmm. we did. Uh, I know we were at the, uh, somewhere back in um, Pennsylvania, I think we did a, I can't remember, I don't want to. Yeah. Try to dig all that and pull out either. We did lots of festivals, and it was great. And we would be on the same stage with BB and CC Wine and, yeah. and with, with uh, you know, the different gospel groups and stuff. And it was fabulous. And I knew in my heart of hearts I was back on the drums and I was back with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so things just started really just you know leveling out in my heart and mind, literally. I got back into the Bible on a regular basis, and I just knew I was back. And and the more uh, we we pursued that, the more we took on guys from the old days. I got Bobby Anglin to come in there with me yep. in the band, mm-hmm. and we now we're on the road together. Jeffrey Nicholson, of course, yep. who had the Living Epistle T-shirt company. Mm-hmm. We were we were the essential backup band for Daryl there yep. for about four years running. Yeah. So it was just marvelous. It was it couldn't be gosh, it couldn't be expressed any better as far as. Um, Getting, getting your life together with the music you love and having tons and tons of fellowship, Bible studies, prayers, and a, just a, a literal dedication to the Lord's work, all of which are vitally important long before the brilliance of the music, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. Yeah. Daryl was an excellent preacher, teacher, in his own little humble way. He, he really nailed it. Yeah. And, we went, and we went all over the world because I don't know if I brought this out yet in some other uh, episode, but he was well known in in Europe and in Asia yeah. as a blues harmonica player. Right. They always bypassed the word gospel. Mm-hmm. 
they never thought of that. They just went, here's Daryl Mansfield, a blues harmonica player, let's get him. Wow. So the point of that is, in the in the six years I was with Daryl, we spent more time abroad than we did at home. Yeah. Uh, we were over in uh, Asia, and we just, you name it, we were there, uh, Hong Kong, Singapore, Seoul, Korea, uh, we, uh, Tokyo, Japan, uh, j- just everywhere, all over in, in the Orient, and did... Uh, Concert after concert after concert, and they just loved it. Mm-hmm. And we were preaching the gospel hard and heavy the whole way through interpreters and everything. Beautiful. And there's some real revival stuff going on. It was great. And then we turn around and go over to Europe, mm-hmm. and we play all these real dark bars as, as you know, as Daryl Mansfield, the, the blues. blues harmonica player. <laughs> and Daryl, one thing about Daryl, he did not compromise no. anything ever. Yeah. He'd been in those real dark, dingy, smoke-filled nightclubs, mm-hmm. and he was there honking the gospel mm-hmm. as hard as any preacher I ever heard in my life. Beautiful. And by the end of the evening, people were just gobsmacked. They were amazed. <laughs> they were, you know, putting their drinks on the table and leaving them there. And we had altar calls sometimes, and then these grody old guys would come forward and accept the Lord. Uh, that stuff leaves lasting memories on your mind and your heart, which you never let go of. And one time in Seoul, Korea. We played the heavy metal club. Oh, I've, I've, I've got to tell this quick yeah. story. We arrived at the airport in Seoul, and uh, we were waiting in the lobby for our sponsor to come, and he didn't come. So Daryl went out to a phone, called him. And it, was, it was some past, some uh, South Korean pastor. He said, uh, Pastor so-and-so, we're here for our tour. Uh, this is Daryl Mansfield. He said, oh, no, no, your tour canceled. He said, what do you mean it canceled? He said, you were supposed to be here last week, and you weren't, so we canceled. And what are you going to do at a time like yeah. that? You're going to argue? You're going to try to call up somebody's agent or say it doesn't work? It's just a guy canceled you, end of story. So you can picture the scene. Here mm-hmm. we are, four, four guys, five guys, standing in a kind of a circle in the middle of an airport lobby in Seoul, Korea, going, what do we do now? Mm-hmm. So uh, we would oftentimes incur the old Jehoshaphat's prayer, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. <laughs> you know, we held hands with guitars hanging over the shoulders and my drum box on, on the ground. And yeah. We held hands right in the middle of the airport and prayed. And as we were praying, this young kid came running up from behind, probably in his early 20s whatever. whatever. He said, hey, 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 you guys a rock band? And we looked at him and went, duh. You know, and uh, <laughs> said, yeah, 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 we're a rock band. He said, "Well, I'm wondering if you guys might have any opportunity to do some bookings and stuff." And we all looked at each other and went, what? "Thank you, Jesus." Wow. And he and I said, "Well, what's the deal?" He said, "Well, we had this band all scheduled to be on like a two or three week tour here with us to cover every major United States and South Korean Republic of Korea ROK rock uh, uh, army base." Wow. And they canceled, and we need a band starting tomorrow morning for like a two or three week tour of all these military bases. Wow! And, and we were just gobsmacked because we had just just finished Jehoshaphat's prayer. Yeah. And that's how God works. And I have to, you know, I have to say, that is how the Lord works. Amen. And so that was it for the next couple of weeks. We toured all the bases, but I got an opportunity with the rest of the boys to go up to the uh, line of demarcation between North and South. And uh, it was marvelous, all, this, all the learning that took place on, on the north-south Korean border there at, at Pemujon. And then we did a concert for the American troops up there on, at, the, uh, at the border, at the border there. And 
So they set up a big stage and they put up a big riser and they got up all the amps and the musicians got in front in the lower riser and I got up on the drums and I realized my head and shoulders were sticking over the fence. <laughs> you know, I went, wait a minute, you know, if, if there's an internet, international incident today, I'm going to be the first one to cast <laughs> land here. So I said, I'm trusting you, Lord. So we just went on with a concert mm -hmm. and we drew a big crowd on both sides of the fence wow. and they listened. And, and the guys who could speak English were talking to the guys who could interpret Korean and all of these things, man. It was just incredible. And the Lord that day saved so many souls right on the line of demarcation. Wow. And those, I mean, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't pay to have a, a no. guide take you on those kind no. of experiences, mm -hmm. except the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So we had many of those with Daryl. On and on it went everywhere, all over the world. One, one just miraculous thing after another. But I missed my wife. Terribly, mm -hmm. we were in we were in uh, Paris, France, one evening doing a concert there, and we had a concert for um, the next day down in the south. So we drove out that night, and we drove right down by uh, the uh, sea there. I think it's the Mediterranean Sea, whatever the big sea down mm -hmm. in the south of France is. Yeah. And, and and we were we pulled over some moonlit night. It was beautiful. So we pulled the van over. We all got out. Walked out about 15 paces toward the water's edge, looked up at the beautiful full moon out there shining brightly on the beautiful Mediterranean Sea there in that part of southern France, and it hit me. And there I was at the beautiful spot in the Mediterranean Sea in the moonlight with seven other guys. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I thought, from now on, my wife is coming with Amen. me. Amen. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> so we started working that out so she could go. That's great. Right. Yeah, that worked out. But that was the way those Mansfield things went. You know, it's yeah. just hit and miss and go to the places the Lord sends you. And, oh, there's just so many incredible expansions that I'm sure time doesn't allow for. So yeah. moving on from there, I just went into some other, I stayed Christian for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, did Christian bands of different types and sorts and mm -hmm. did a lot of recording for Christian artists. Yeah. Uh, such as a group called Red Letter, which was a, mm -hmm. a really outstanding group. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, other things like that. And finally, I just got together with, uh, you know, my own group again mm -hmm. and um, started doing, you know, my my thing uh, as, you know, uh, one-step band, Greg Eklund and the right. one-step yeah. band, because we got into that whole one-step thing because I realized my past in drugs and alcohol and, and all the different kinds of abuses was perfect now as a, as a uh, you know, I, in other words, I'd been inoculated, right. you know. And uh, I was ready to go, you know, pass without being tempted. I was able to go and pass along the knowledge mm -hmm. and from the scripture and from testimony about how to overcome the evils uh, and wiles of the devil in the areas of drug, alcohol, and pornography. That's so cool. You know? That's great. So, and the Lord walked me into that. You know, I read a, a beautiful, uh, just today, I read a beautiful uh, devotional about if something doesn't go right and you think it's failed, don't blame God. It's not him who has failed, or it's not him who has caused it to not go right. It's you, you know, yeah. and I'm going, yeah, you know, it was me. The whole time I was feeling let down and uh, left alone and forgotten and, you know, deserted and stuff. That was never the Lord. No. You know, he never forsakes or never leaves. It was me thinking those things. Mm -hmm. And I realized that just in the hearing of that testimony, back in all the time that I had to lighten up, settle down, get on point, and trust the Lord. Now, I don't know why I just said those things, but I think somebody listening Amen. is going to have to take that to heart. Absolutely. So, 
there it is. Yeah. And so we did that for years and years, and the Lord ended up moving us to Oregon so I could sit under Pastor John Corson for the next 25 years, mm -hmm. which didn't hurt me a bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then at the end of that run, he sent us over to Europe, my wife and I, for five years mm -hmm. to minister in the streets mm -hmm. of Europe. Uh, we first were in Austria, and then we were in Portugal. And one more little interesting vignette. Yeah. When I got to Europe, I asked the Lord, how am I going to do this? What's going to happen? And the Lord, it was the Lord, honest it was. He brought to my mind, think of all the top 10, top 40 hits that had Christian songs in them over the years. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, really? Is that you, Lord? You know, and that kind of, that mm -hmm. kind of questioning. But I started researching it. And I tell you, Jeff, man, yeah. there's well, well in excess of 20, 30, 40 songs over the years mm -hmm. that were bona fide hits, yeah. that were absolute gospel, not compromised no, gospel. Right on gospel. You know, you can just think of a few right off the top of your head, Absolutely. old happy day, yeah. and, you know, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, people get ready. That's right. Uh, just go right down the list, and there's dozens and dozens of them. Maybe the listeners can have their own memory of some of those kind of songs mm -hmm. going back. So we did that in the streets, her playing a hand drum and me playing a guitar and singing. And we just, we drew crowds, and we drew street crowds, huge street crowds. Who They didn't like Americans. They still don't, as far as I know. But they love American music. Can't get enough. American pop music. So we laid the whole list on them. We started with I Saw the Light by Hank Williams. Mm -hmm. 1955 and came all the way through to 2009 Bob Dylan's Serve Somebody. Right on. And there was a whole flotilla of songs in between that yeah. we did. And yeah. Everybody enjoyed it. That's right. So we kept that up for five years overseas, loved every bit of it, and then got down to southern Portugal. And in southern Portugal, we called up Chuck Smith and we said, Chuck, you know what? There is not a Calvary Chapel here in southern Portugal. Ooh. So Chuck gave us his blessing. Mm -hmm. He said, okay, you go and start one. Wow. We did. We started a Calvary Chapel in uh, the Algarve region to the far south of southern Portugal. And to this day, it is still going. And I, I have to be like a proud dad in that sense. Mm -hmm. That uh, The Lord honored and blessed our our desire to start a church there. And so we did that. And then we came back. Yeah. Back to Applegate. Back to being there with John. And he set us up with a one step once again. Which brings us all the way just about up to the present. Mm -hmm. Full circle, eh? Wow. Yeah, <clears throat> and you have to you have to know. Just imagine, there's like about 300 other untold gospel stories oh, mixed in with this that I just time or circumstance doesn't allow for. But it's all good. I'm many, sure. many, many shows for sure. Yeah. What are some of your favorite songs to play? Oh, there's some songs yeah, you never want to ever want to touch again. I know, or they're just ones that are just absolute favorites. Well, I, I came up with a theory a while back, and the way to never get tired of a song is to learn it in a new arrangement mm. every couple of years. Good advice. Like, uh, like I was doing, and, I, and my favorite to do is old gospel blues. Yeah, you know, going back to what some of the great old gospel blues stuff that was written by some of the great artists. Yeah, and. Uh, so I would do a song like Jesus on the main line. Mm -hmm. Tell him what you yeah. want. Call him up. Tell him what you want. I did it rock style. Right on. Just a chugging 4-4. And then just recently I realized, gosh, I can turn this into a great little shuffle groove and swing it mm -hmm. and do the same thing. So I do a lot of that. I take a song that I've done forever, and, and when I grow weary of it, I just put it into a different groove. 
and do it all over again. And it has a new life, a new kind of a new birth. Well, uh, so I guess in all that, I'd say my favorite is R&B, mm-hmm. uh, black gospel. Love it. Um, yeah, some some of the uh, I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not real keen on the heavy, just heavy metal right. monster rock yeah. things. Not that I, if they're preaching the gospel, more power mm-hmm. to them, because I know everybody needs to hear things in their own musical language, mm-hmm. and uh, so more power to them. Yep. Lord bless them. Yep. It's just not my taste. I think my mother's roots in listening to Nat King Cole and Nolly Lutcher and all those old singers back in the day is my bigger influence on that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the beauty of uh, our station plays. We have a blues night. We have, uh, I do a show on Monday called Metal Monday. And, uh, oh, Metal yeah, Monday. Yeah, and on Wednesdays, it's just basically all the classic Christian rock you want by request. So we, we yeah. go through all of it. Old Daniel Amos to new Daniel Amos, you know, all, oh, sure. like everything. And the rhythm and blues, it's all great folk rock, yeah. you know. We get a little bit CM, CCM-ish, but not too much. We have other stations cover that, but we have a little bit of uh, Amy Grant in the mix sometimes. So it's all good. There's music for the Lord, just awesome. Um, <clears throat> I was going to ask you, do you prefer, I, I, I probably guess this one, live or studio work? Oh, that was a good question you asked. Uh, you know, I, I love them both, I have to say. As far as preference is the key operative there. Um, it, it depends. I think I don't know if everybody will agree with me on this, but it depends on what's going on at the time. Mm-hmm. Like right now, for an example, I don't have a real opportunity to take off on an extensive tour. You know, I, I'd be happy if someone wanted to throw one together yeah. and offer to cover the expense mm-hmm. and everything. But I, this just not in the works yeah. right now. It's not that it never could be because I've had a lifetime of that, so mm-hmm. I know it can break out in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. You know. But so that leaves me with studio work, yeah. and of course, uh, Applegate Christian Fellowship had a great studio, and I did a lot of stuff in there, mm-hmm. and recorded two or three albums for the uh, local listeners and for the K Apple radio station, and and which they still play to this day, as far as I know. Great. And uh, but even you know even up to now, until until the next opportunity comes up to go on some kind of touring. Uh, I just, I love being in the studio. Yeah. I can't get enough kind of different instruments, arranging, mm-hmm. uh, producing, you know, and all those kind of things. It's just, it really fulfills something in me that makes everything all work together for, and then it's all, it's all dedicated to the Lord's work. Yes. Yeah. I'm just wondering, technically speaking, do you get free reign or does somebody tell you, here's what I want you to play? When you're in well, I, you? I've had both, both yeah. mostly obviously, as you would imagine, yeah. or other musicians might yeah. imagine. You uh, prefer free reign, mm-hmm. but uh, in the case of like Pastor John, for instance, yeah. you know, I could go in there and do all kinds of black gospel stuff. His preference wasn't black gospel; uh, he, he was more Maranatha. Right. So, uh, you know, I had to go in there, and, and I tried my best to come up with a conglomeration of. Uh, Mara gospel, you know, yeah. uh, or, or gospel thing, mm-hmm. that matha or something. But so I would do my best to make it uh, appreciative, appreciative by him, and then something that I could live with myself, you know, and everything. And I don't know. Some people might, some people listening might think to themselves, "Well, uh, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, oh, you're doing okay. great. My phone went. No, my phone went black. It's sounding good. It's not uh, dropping yeah. at all." Yeah, some people might might think, well, you know, hey, and that kind of thing. But 
uh, I, I just do nowadays. I just do what I feel compelled to do. Mm -hmm. I was listening to the uh, jazz station on Sirius a while ago in my car, yeah. and there was a song uh, by Huge Groove, and it was called "Still Huge." Mm -hmm. And uh, man, it is just—it is right up that alley of just just stone to the bone blues shuffle. Yeah. And I, I immediately started singing a song because I write songs too. Yeah. I just started singing a song over top of his song, and oftentimes that's where my inspiration yeah. comes from. I'll go home and get out my Garage Band on my yeah. iPad mm -hmm. and lay it down, and there it is. And I teach it to my little band. I usually always have a, at the very least, a trio yeah. or a quartet. Yeah. And uh, we learn the songs, and we categorize it, and there it is. Great. So it's, I guess you'd call it a localized effort, but mm -hmm. it really, really is fun. Mm -hmm. it's, all I can say is just fun and enjoyable, and it's to the glory of God, Amen. and with all respect and dignity, it's being done. That's awesome. Uh, offhand, is there any way people get, can get a hold of this music? Is there a, a web page they should go to, or is it available on iTunes? Is it? Uh, do you have a? Uh, what's the? Um, there's a few music apps where people have their music available for people. Yeah, and I think I'm going to have to be setting one of those up okay, because so, up till now I haven't apologized okay. anything in any any uh, you know trans transferable format yeah. but I need to I've got three albums yes. just from Applegate alone right. and, and then I've got others one that was recorded in Europe one that was uh, recorded in, in some other place and uh, there's a lot of good stuff there um, uh, and I've also got a book that I've written you know One oh. Step in the Right Direction okay. and all that is available when I left Applegate to move across to uh, Grants Pass and go to work with U-Turn mm -hmm. John blessed me with you know uh, just giving all of my records and all of my books back to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, he kept a, a modicum of them there to continue to sell. But he basically sent me out with my whole stash, and so now I've got all these books and CDs all, you know, just sitting around waiting for something to do yeah. with them. So, actually, you just uh, put a bug Good. in here. Good, and keep me posted. Put, put a light bulb yep. over my head or whatever. Good, keep me posted so I can let people know how to get avail how to they get a, uh, copies or whatever. And we'll definitely sure. put that out for you. So yeah. that's awesome. I'll get that, <clears throat> I'll get that information over to you, you know, at some point later. Just terrific. I'll email it over. So. That's terrific. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And you've given advice to young musicians already. That was my next question. Um, if you hadn't been a musician, what else would you have done? And uh, do you still do that anyway? Like, is there something that you've always done, you've kept doing? You're obviously still in music. If you hadn't been a musician, what else would you have done? Boy, that is that is really a. I mean, honestly, I'm not just you know pulling your leg or anything here, man. But that that is a real interesting and tough question to answer because I I feel like I feel like I was born into music. Yeah. I, I feel like that the Lord put that gift in me at a very very early age. Uh, I don't know that anybody else listening to a windshield wiper clack at a flack at, <laughs> at, at three years old yeah. is going to uh, hear drums being played. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think that may happen to a few others, but I think it was ingrained in me at the outset. Well, I'll tell you this quick little story. Yeah. When I was in kindergarten, mm -hmm. uh, that was, you know, way back before the Civil War. Uh, <laughs> when, I was, when I was in kindergarten, you know, uh, we were doing the thing, and it was time for report cards, and the kindergarten teacher would write down a little something about each student. And when it came to me, she wrote this down and sent it with me home. The reason I know is because my dad kept all of those things from my childhood. 
And when my dad passed, mm. I went through all of his possessions and I found this. Wow. And the kindergarten teacher, uh, whose name was Myth McCarthy, mm -hmm. I know. I remember my kindergarten. You always teacher. remember that one. Oh yeah. Yeah. She said, "Well, she said, Greg is a Greg is a fine student. He does good, you know, in in the class, except for one thing." She said, "When all when, when it's time for the uh, you know play period or whatever it is, all the kids gravitate toward the swings and the slides and the toys and the dolls and the toy cars and the balls and all that kind of thing." Greg heads right for the piano and grabs a tambourine. Wow. You know, so it was in my life at five years old, verifiably. Yeah. I don't even remember half of that. But, <laughs> so, I, it, so that's why I say it would be tough to answer the question mm -hmm. because I'm sure had music had not come into fruition in my life, I think it's not so much about the music but about the fruition part of it. Yeah. In other words, if I'd have pursued and never gotten anything from it, I suppose at that point I would have looked into something else. I don't know what. But you see, that's another way the Lord works miraculously. He showed me a way to take on something completely different mm -hmm. in the way of the Word yeah. and salvation and all the necessities of life, loving and caring and giving, and put it into my music. Yeah. No harm, no foul to either either side, you know. Only the Lord can do those kind of things. Amen. That's great. <laughs> you know, because I, I often try to picture, my, you know, what would I do? Be a mailman? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Was, uh, truck driver that uh, has truck windshield wipers going and you're playing on the dashboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, playing on, yes, you got it. Hammering on the dashboard with my hands and everything else. And with all respect to mail delivery yeah. and truck drivers and everything, I, this, there's no disrespect oh, no. there. I respect all people who go out and, Absolutely. you know, earn a living and support a family and go to church and it's the American way. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's all, that's all good. Yes. But for me, it was the art path of the artist and it still is. Uh, I told my wife, I'm going to do a special, I'm, I'm sure she'll outlive me. Mm. So I'm going to do a special presentation at my funeral. Yeah. She said, what's that? I said, well, I want you to go out and start it. And then about 10 minutes after it starts, I want you to roll my coffin in because I always said, you always told me I was going to be late for my own funeral. Mm -hmm. So I want to put that out there as a uh, representation of what I want to do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people laughed, but people thought it was morbid, too. But what do I no. care, you know? Yeah, you're gone. On my, you're, you're... On, my gra on, my, on my gravestone, I'm going to have quit. Don't stop talking to me. I'm not here. You're with Jesus, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what does it matter? Sure. So yeah. you've told us a little bit. What are you doing now, exactly? Well, what I'm doing now is since I moved to Oregon, I was on staff at Applegate. Mm -hmm. Christian Fellowship as the uh, as the pastor who would help people with the uh, drug and alcohol mm -hmm. uh, problems and other isolate or other pardon me related things. Yeah, you know, just offshoot issues that that weren't the uh, regular curriculum of pastors. Right. Uh, he send out pastors regularly every two or three years. He send out a half a dozen pastors, and I was never sent out. And there was a while when I, there was a time when I was wondering, well, why do I get sent out? And John, at one point, just told me, it's because you know you're needed here, right here where you are, to do these things with these people, because they had tried some kind of a recovery group early on before I got there, and it was a total failure. Mm -hmm. And he realized, John, being the way he is with that kind of uh, serious uh, Holy Spirit aptitude, you know, he he realized the gifts that I had, especially in the area of reaching. You know, uh, people that were down and out in those areas and with music and with the gospel. So he just kept me on board to do that kind of thing. And that eventually turned into 
One Step, and that One Step was born in 1994. Mm -hmm. One Step, of course, in John's terms, meaning there's, you know, you don't, with all respect, you know, you don't need the 12. No. All you need is one sincere step Amen. closer to Christ. Yes. You know, and so, so that name, that's where that name I was like first. It. And I've used that name ever since. I asked John when I, when I left here this last time around, I said, John, can I keep the name and can I, can I go on as one step? He said, oh, with my blessing, you go for it. Just keep that going. So that was a good thing. And so I'm still doing one step right now. And I'm, I'm pleased because even though the emphasis is still on just cool, good, rocking tonight mm -hmm. kind of music, mm -hmm. it's still to and from and, and uh, with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And when people come, they hear messages that are geared toward, you know, uh, get over yourself, <laughs> you know, uh, get past all that flesh that you're dealing with. And we have different ways of, of loving on them, you know, and encouraging them away from those uh, ugly habits that they form, Amen. you know. And it's been working for ever since we started in 1994, continued it in Europe, came back, continued it here, and it's still going. So... I'm I'm just in love with that now. I don't I don't have stars in my eyes anymore. Somebody wants me to come and do a special or a TV or, or even such as yourself yeah. a radio interview. I'm pleased and happy to just participate as unto the Lord. I mean, my after all these years, thankfully I'm an old man now. But well, I'm not like an old codger. I'm not you know, but hmm. I'm older. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm older. Yeah. You know, I, I admit. You know, I I I prefer telephones that are hooked to the wall. Yes. You know, mm -hmm. And you hang it up after you're done talking and pay about fifteen dollars a month for right. it. But that's not the world anymore. No. So I just you know keep keep moving through it in my one step fashion, and that's I, and I, the Lord hasn't given given me any indicator that I need to change that anytime soon. No. So I keep pressing on. I keep persevering. Amen to that. Okay. Well, that's uh, about what I have. So is there any final thoughts before uh, we close off and say goodnight to everybody? Well, the final thought would be uh, that I so appreciate you making this contact with me so we can share these things. And it's meant a lot to me, to me, to be able to share these things because this is, this has been my life. And I hope after it's all edited and, and pressed and uh, what the Bible said, pressed down and shaken mm -hmm. together, you know, that it it comes out into something legible and intelligible. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you guys will do that part. It's on my part. Yes. That it comes out that way, and people are blessed by Amen. it. Amen. You know, just in conclusion, I guess, to, to link it to something. One night I was doing a concert in a little church with, uh, with uh, I think it was Daryl Mansfield, mm -hmm. or it might have been a different Christian yeah. band. But I was in the men's room, and uh, I had just, you know, uh, come to the sink to wash my hands to leave the room and as I was doing that uh, there was a song playing in that last in the uh, overhead system in the building and it was Giver of Life mm. which was the song that I wrote yeah. that Daryl recorded Great. and um, this kid comes out of a stall you know and I know it's a little bit of a you know sketchy picture there or whatever but he came out of the stall and he walks up to the sink right next to where I was standing and, and he says, hey, you hear that song in the PA system? I said, yeah, I hear it. He said, that song saved my life. Wow. And uh, I didn't say anything. I could have had, you know, yeah. I could have had a gloat moment yeah. there, but I didn't. The Lord choked me off. Oh. 
and just and just let me just savor the moment. Amen. You know, it's like getting a little glimpse. Beautiful. Of what heaven's going oh, to be you, like. Oh, you you bet. Oh, yeah. There's so many so stories so we much. don't and know the half of it. What we're going to hear later, hopefully, we hear. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. oh yeah. Well, I know people say, you know, where are you going to be? And how I find you in heaven, Greg? I said, well, just look for the black gospel yes. bar. I'm going to spend about the first three hundred thousand years right there in the front row next to Andre. Amen. Crouch. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's where I like to be as well. Okay, Greg, thanks so much. I'm going to uh, say goodnight to everybody and turn off my recorder. So there we go. I'll turn that right now.